This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. City have clicked into another gear after Kevin De Bruyne's return, but are the recent signs of defensive instability anything to be concerned about? Plus, we'll have a look back at Sven Goran Eriksson's time at the club. It's Wednesday, January 17th. I'm Adam Booker. I'm Ollie Kirsch. And this is the City Report Podcast. Hello, Ollie. Welcome back to the show. I would ask you what your thoughts on the FIFA Pro end of year awards are, but surely the only people who actually care about those have nightly homework and need a ride to primary school the next morning. Or am I being too harsh? Yeah, no, I think you're pretty much right. Um, it, it's that, and it's also the the FIFA team of the year as well, where we only got, I believe, Diaz, De Bruyne, and Haaland. Uh, they're popularity contests, aren't they? And and do you know what was funny? I was listening to Talk Sport earlier, and Simon Jordan, whoever he was on with, were talking about this fifth pro, fifth pro, fifth pro, fifth pro, World Eleven, and they were talking about how Messi obviously got in and he he won the award because of the World Cup. Even they weren't aware that the voting was meant to be on performances starting after the World Cup. So. Even the biggest football radio show in this country doesn't even know and, what the and actual... host of the City Report podcast. Yeah, is this news to you as well? 
Is this news? No, 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 no. I'm saying that Talksport is the host of the City Report podcast because they oh, are. This is a, this is a Talksport fan network podcast. Of course, of course. Yeah. So you know they they weren't fully aware of what the criteria were for this award. This this is probably news to most people listening. Nobody really gives a shit about these art, do they? And it's almost like the Ballon d'Or. It's it's kind of a popularity contest in a sense, especially when they give fans a portion of the vote, which is nuts. Like fans that's are insane. Idiots. That's insane. It's not even just that fans are idiots, right? It's fans are going to vote for whichever players either play for their clubs or they like. They are definitely not going to vote for clubs they dislike. Manchester City are a highly disliked club, especially at the moment, 115. So obviously fans that are given a vote aren't going to go and vote for Haaland. Um, and it's like, again, the FIFA team of the year with, you know, with the time with the video game. They, they, they put in the team players that are going to sell packs. In theory, for a Premier League team of the year, it should be like nine, eight or nine out of 11 being City. But then United fans aren't going to buy the packs. Arsenal fans aren't going to buy the packs, et cetera, et cetera. So, well, we've seen, we've seen Bernardo Silva on. talk about this, haven't we? We saw Bernardo Silva kind of go on a rant once about how um, City players just don't get individual mm. awards. And he was, I think it was the mm. domestic treble season when uh was it Salah I think one player or was that the no Jordan Henderson won it the year they won the league so it was Mohamed Salah won it one player of the year PFA mm. player of the year the the year that City did the domestic treble and Bernardo Silva was on a bleacher report live stream or something like that basically saying like yeah we don't expect to win anything we mm. we know Kevin should win all of them we know you know Rodri should win these and blah yeah. blah 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 um but I think, I, the, the, I think the, the fun well I was just going to say the, the 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 biggest evidence of that there's there's two major points of evidence behind this. One is that Haaland is going to win personal awards. He has been winning personal awards and he's probably our best shot at getting a Ballon d'Or. Despite over the last few years, we've had Kevin De Bruyne, we've had David Silva, we've had you know some monstrous Sergio Aguero seasons, we've had a Yaya Torre. David Silva's never been in the Premier League team of the year, right? In his entire career. There's one of them. I can't remember which one. There's one of them. Is it Silva or is it Company? We've we've had a big player that's that's basically never been. I think it's I think it's Silva that's never Mm. been in the Premier League team of the season before. Yeah. But obviously Haaland brings superstar power that no other player has really got close to, other than maybe De Bruyne, but I think Haaland's on another level. And now all of a sudden we've got a player being considered for awards. Their popularity contest. The other evidence for this, and this this really annoys me, in Aguero's debut season, 11-12, follow this closely, Aguero was nominated for Young Player of the Year and Senior Player of the Year, the full Player of the Year. He was the only young player to be nominated for both. Therefore, should he not have by default won the Young Player of the Year? Given that none of the other young player nominees were nominated for senior, right? But he didn't. Yeah, uh, he didn't that, get that either of sense. them. Yeah, he didn't get either of them. I, I think. I think the funniest thing, and and we'll move on in a second because I I find it funny that we we preface this by saying that this is absolute nonsense, and we've been speaking for about six minutes now. But <laughs> I, I think the funniest thing to come out of this is the idea and. A, a ma- I won't call him a major MLS journalist, an MLS journalist with lots of followers, um, basically put out the theory that because Messi won the FIFA Pro Player of the Year, it's because that FIFA is now recognizing the League's Cup as a serious competition. Can you tell me, Oliver Kirsch, what the League's Cup is? <laughs> <laughs> the League's Cup. 
I'm guessing it's an MLS domestic cup, which sounds ridiculous because don't you only have one senior league? Uh, not technically. I mean, MLS is, is a closed shop, but we do have technically have second and third divisions. We have the USL, which is considered first, well, second and third and now fourth division as well. Right. And does the but league's just no cup promotion include relegation. those teams? One might think, but that's the US Open Cup. <laughs> right. So the league's cup is just the MLS? League's cup is an in-season tournament in which Liga MX and MLS both pause their seasons and then they do a head-to-head tournament of just those two. I will have to say, I think, I mean, it's a ridiculous cash grab of like most competitions are these days, but I will have to say the Timbers games that I went to in the League's Cup were electric because Liga MX teams, Mm -hmm. I'm sure many people know about how like when the U.S. plays Mexico in a home game in the U.S., it's still going to be 90% Mexican fans. Yeah. And we had, you know, we had Mexican teams bring like 5,000 fans to Portland and it was fucking ridiculous, which you'll never get for an MLS game. So they they were loads of fun. The Central Um, and South American fans bring the heat, right? Like, yeah, their, their, their culture, their football culture is on an, on another level, even to, even to English football culture. But I can't get out of my head that this is the equivalent of having a cup over here in England where we all, pause the season to watch Crystal Palace versus Aberdeen or Fife or yeah. some non It's, exa- it's exactly when, what it when is. When City played t- TNS Total Network Solutions in the... <laughs> was it the UEFA Cup qualifiers or something? But yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a bit farcical. And if that is counting towards Messi winning the award over a treble winning, or even by the time of the voting, quintuple winning Erling Haaland... Um, I roundly object and consider the results null and void. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I believe that's enough League's Cup talk for the day and the year <laughs> and the decade, probably. Uh, we, we will move on to a second-rate competition. That is the Premier League. If you are looking for more <laughs> in-depth analysis into City's victory at St. James's Park, after this episode, go back, listen to Monday's episode. Uh, the boys did a bit more of in-depth look into that game. It was fantastic. Um, but one thing I want to talk about Ali, and, and I, I hate to bring this on to kind of a negative because that was, that was a game that made me feel things I hadn't felt probably since last season. Um, you know, the Kevin De Bruyne making his grand return to the Premier League and a kid from the academy coming off the bench to win it in stoppage time. I mean, that's, it's, it's kind of games you dream of as a football fan. Um, however, I think we do have to kind of step back and, speak about City's defense at the moment and there are question marks around it and um, the two goals they gave up were yes sensational goals um, from Anthony Gordon and, and Alexander Isak but probably avoidable goals and it's not the first time that City have looked a bit frail defensively um, what what has changed from last season when it felt like City were just an absolute brick wall at the back and nobody, whether it's Vinny Jr. and, and Real Madrid or Kingsley Coman and, and Leroy Sané and Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich, nobody was getting past that Akanji, Stones, Diaz, Ake um, group back there. But what, I mean, what has changed to this season? I'm glad you've opened with what has changed instead of are you worried because I, I, I'm not too worried and I'm sure we'll get on to that. But, but what has changed? Okay. Um, The first is that we are coming off the back of three Premier League titles in a row and a treble and a quadruple and a quintuple. 
So players naturally are tired. Perhaps one or two are struggling to get up to the same levels of motivation for now. I'm not saying that's going to carry through for the season, but you know, players have got to get back. It's incredibly hard to get back into that mindset. Unbelievably hard. Wiles has changed. Uh, Stones has returned to the injury problems that he was having. We've signed Gvardiol, who isn't fully embedded in this team yet. Walker is another year older. And I just want to cast everyone's minds back as well to the beginning of last season when Walker Walker was struggling first few games of last season. And he did get back into his into his rhythm again, but we were having a lot of conversations on this podcast back then about, is Walker finished? Twitter was having the conversations, is Walker finished? And then he came back strong. Right, and I think that was maybe just trying to get trying to get back up to scratch. But, from but he he was used as a bit of a specialist last year, wasn't he? He, he wasn't an out and out starter like he is this year. I mean, he was brought in when Vinny Junior came to town. Mm-hmm. He was brought in maybe I think he played in the second leg against Bayern Munich when I think. But, the, but the, the, game this was later Munich, in the season. He he had his shit together by then. I'm talking. I'm just trying to cast him as well yeah. to, the, to the beginning of last season when he was just struggling. I think he got burned for pace once or twice, and everyone's kind of looking at each other nervously, thinking. Have, have we actually just did? Did we just witness that? Walker's just been burned. Uh, there was there was one at the Etihad. I can't remember the life of me who we were against, but he he was having those issues. Now he's another year older again, and as much of a professional he is on the pitch, and how well he looks after himself, that pace is ultimately going to wane. And there is a lot to be said about Walker. Or with Walker, one might say, "Ween, don't." <laughs> Don't. <laughs> and I was deliberately trying to avoid the Walker off-pitch conversations. But yeah, he he's another year older and there's no guarantee that he can keep that. And Walker's strength has never been his footballing abilities away from his, his ability to recover, his pace, uh, his strength, etc. So once he's, his physical attributes do really start to take a downturn... He might struggle. So that's that's what's changed, right? Injuries, the actual makeup of the back line with Guardiol, uh, Walker getting another year older, and just overall motivation. On top of that, what else has changed? Well, naturally, the whole squad has had a bit of a downshift from last season, and that means there's more pressure on the defence than we had last season because we're not keeping the ball as well. We're not dominating games as well as we were. There's a few factors combined here that ultimately mean... We concede more chances, we make more mistakes, we concede more goals. Let, I, I want to dig into that a bit more, but let me ask you this question first. Uh, you said you said treble, quadruple, quintuple. How high can you actually count in that form? What's next? Sextuple? Oh, sextuple, septuple. What's eight? Would it, it wouldn't be octuple. Is it octuple? Octuple. Nine, would that be not non-tuple? Non-tuple, no clue. which is quite funny because that non-tuple works in two ways, right? It can either be described as Man City winning nine trophies non-tuple or <laughs> Manchester United winning fuck all again, which would also I be know, a, I knew this was a, coming. Which would also be a non-tuple. You gave me an open net and I'm never going to miss the chance to slate them lot. And 10, a deck tuple. Above that, I don't know. Perfect. That's perfect. Thank you very much. Andrew, De- I, Andrew Demmer could is- probably go to 100 with that. <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Uh, this is why we have you on here, I, I, to ask the burning questions. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll get back into it, though. So just looking at the stats, um, 
City have only conceded three more goals this season so far through 20 games than they did through 20 games last season. So they're not necessarily getting ripped apart. Um, but like I said, they, they, it feels a bit frailer. It feels like they're getting hit on the break more. I think Newcastle probably could have had one or two more in that first half. Um, but City played a good high line, and that's why City didn't. That's why Newcastle didn't have one or two. So it could, could kind of go both ways. How much of this comes from actually further up the pitch? Because you spoke about the kind of not wholesale changes to the squad, but major changes to the squad and the fact that uh, Grealish isn't playing as often. And Grealish is somebody that, you know, um, he, he's almost a defender up front in the sense that he won't give the ball away. And he's such a, a shield against counterattacks because he's almost a, a Rodri out on the wing. Um, there's no Gundogan anymore. Uh, Riyad Mahrez was another player that didn't give the ball away very often. And, and you know, when players like Doku come in or players like Kovacic and Nunes who like to carry the ball a bit more, which is higher risk, higher reward, um, it, it does lead to City kind of having to get exposed a bit more. So h- how much of, um, you know, Diaz being exposed a bit more, maybe Ake being exposed a bit more, how much of that actually comes from further up the pitch? Yeah, a fair bit. I mean, you said it yourself. We've lost players like Gundogan and Mares, uh, who weren't the most uh, weren't the most incisive players. Listen, Gundo scored goals, but he wasn't incisive, as in uh, creating creating the opportunities up top. His strength was his ability to receive the ball in the middle of the pitch, keep it under pressure, um, and and release it. Securely, either forwards or backwards. Mares was very similar. He very rarely lost the ball. Um, he wasn't the best at creating. He wasn't overly direct, but he kept the ball. Grealish, as you mentioned, he's almost a defender up front. He's almost impossible to take the ball off. Whereas this season, we've transitioned into. Uh, sorry, there's a, there's actually another aspect here, which is which is Haaland, and this is really important because when we play with Haaland, the way we tend to play is that we keep the ball until we can create a clear-cut chance for him. So that means naturally we're holding the ball a lot more, whereas with Alvarez, he gets involved in the play a lot more and the ball's moving around a lot more in the final third than it otherwise would. So there's a few things here, but Pep has signed Doku. Grealish has had less time on the pitch. Oscar Bob has had more time on the pitch. Rico Lewis has had some more time on the pitch. And these are all players who especially in the case of Doku, are incredibly direct. Incredibly direct. You know, for for all the dribbles that Doku completes, I think he does give the ball away half a dozen times per half when he does play. So th- this is against Pep's usual philosophy, which is that the less you turn the ball over, the less chances you're going to concede. And the ball comes back at you as quickly as you move it up the pitch is another one. You know, if you if you build slowly, you build securely from the back, then you're not going to be faced with as many counterattacks. And we really saw that against Newcastle and they punished us for it. I'd be interested to know how many more or less goals we had this time last season compared to now. I don't know if you've got that, but I think the second factor here is that the goals we are conceding, as you said, it's only three. But the goals that we are conceding are having more of an impact this season because we are not blowing teams away as much as we were. So uh, this season we've scored forty three in twenty. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you take. We're gonna play a little game, more or less this time last year. There's got to be more. How much more? 
And didn't Haaland himself have 43 by this time last year? Yeah, um, true. We, we, we scored 53 through 20 last year. Right. So and 10 we're more we're goals. We're on 58. No, we're on 48, sorry, according to Understar. Oh, okay. 48, I, I misread. Yeah. So 48 and we had 53. So we'd scored yep. a few more, we'd conceded a little bit less. But those eight goals, that, that eight goal differential does make a big difference. Because as I say, in any given game, if there's a one goal swing, you know, if I pull up, say I pull up a random result from last season, October 2022, we beat Brighton 3-1 at home. If that's one of those games when we score one less and concede one more, or even if we just concede one more, we're thinking, shit, that was close. Not, that was a sound 3-1 win over Brighton. You know, that, that's the nature of football, it's tight margins. So... It's not that it's so much worse. It's just that we've got a double effect here. Of Harlan's not on the pitch, we're scoring less. De Bruyne is not on the pitch, we're scoring less. Our controllers and our tempo dictators are on the pitch, so we're giving away the ball more, conceding a few more chances, and naturally conceding a couple more goals. The only thing I will say in City's defence, we've conceded more than our XG suggests we should have done. So we're maybe just tracking behind on our luck and rubber the green a little bit with goals conceded. Um, but, you know, all, all in all, I think it's small refinements. I think anyone that's making a meal of this needs to just chill out a little, little bit. It's very small margins, very small refinements. And I'm, I'm confident that with De Bruyne back on the pitch, with Haaland back on the pitch, they ain't small refinements. They're big fucking arrivals. They make big differences to this team. Um and I think we're, we're going to be in a very happy place going forward. All right, that'll do for part one. Stay right where you are. We'll be back in part two to do some reminiscing. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The Etihad Stadium really is wonderful at this time of the season. And the same goes for McDelivery. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. If you are new here, please hit follow, hit subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, unless it is a shit one. That's the best way for us to get this show out to more blues like you. Uh, Ali, I'm going to hand the floor to you, but I, I want to talk about Sven Goran Eriksson. And obviously, given the news in the last a week or so. Amos mentioned it on Monday, but we're obviously all thinking about uh, Sven, all of his loved ones, and, and everybody impacted you know, by what he's going through. And, and obviously, we wish him all the best and, and all the strength that we can. Um, but we're going to go look back on, on his time at the club because I think most people have fond memories of that time. And, and I know I certainly do because it was actually when I started supporting City. And, and of course, City did the double over, over United in that 2007-2008 season. Um, the second game of which was one of the first Premier League matches I ever watched in my life and have essentially been a City fan since that day. Um, but what, what are your memories of that time? Because I think many of us can look back and, and given the era that it was in and maybe say it was kind of the last the last era of City as we knew the club before Sheikh Mansour. Yeah, I, I just want to start by saying you, you, you got in with City at an interesting time uh, because... There are two types of City fan. When people say, you know, why are you a City fan? If if you became a Blue after 2008, people say, that's why you're a City fan. If you became a Blue before the summer of 2008, people just scrap the that's and they say, why are you a City fan? 
And you got in it yeah. just at the point where people could say, Bucko, why are you a City fan? Yeah, but you know what? I, I, I was 12. I didn't know anything about football. And I, I, I tune into, <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, you know, I tune into Fox Soccer Channel. It's a Manchester Derby, the 50th year, uh, 50 year anniversary of the Munich air disaster. The atmosphere was incredible. Mm. Um, and City win, I think it was for the first time in like 18 years at Old Trafford and, and mm. complete the double over United. And why wouldn't I, you know, look more into the club and, and kind of hop on the bandwagon from there? Because Little did I know, I, I had, <laughs> I knew nothing. I knew nothing about, I knew nothing about, you know, Tax and Shinawatra. I knew nothing uh, about, I knew nothing about nothing, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, that that season, I've got to set the scene because I know we talk a lot about it. It's something I'm really keen on because I'm I'm a bit of a nostalgia merchant, me. And I'm always pecking Amos and Adam and I'm saying we should do flashback episodes, you know, maybe get maybe get the few old guard in. Amos's dad used to, used to be on the Kipax terraces, etc. Um so I had a big grin across my face when Amos said, Hey, I think, you know, I think we should have a look at the 0708 season tonight on the episode. Uh, we, we've got Luke Bargley. We've got enough old men for this podcast. <laughs> Fair enough. But, but, but this season, if, if there is one season, listen, I could reminisce about so much of City kind of from late nineties into the thousands, but this is a really good one. This is a good one because it was simultaneously the peak of the end of uh, and uh, of the banter era of city at least in the in the mid 2000s you know we, we certainly had a lot worse in the early 2000s late 90s but 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 this was it was an interesting season so just set the scene right sven sven had sven was managing the golden generation so called of the england team you know kind of the early mid 2000s with all the names that you'd expect um a young John Terry was in there, Ferdinand was in there, Beckham was in there, Michael Owen was in there, etc. And in truth, he, he, he failed, right? The, the expectation of the nation at that time was to win something. I'd, I, we didn't even get to a final. So Sven was booted out from England as, I don't want to say a national villain, but certainly an underachiever. And it was a big move from England to, to take Sven because when they brought him in, people were were certain that we shouldn't have foreign managers with the national team. So Sven was a bit of a villain. You know, he had control of the England, uh, the golden generation. It was seen that he'd wasted them. And lo and behold, Tax and Shinawat had, had come in. This was just off the back of the Stuart Pearce season that saw us score 10 home game, 10 goals at home all season, zero after New Year's Day. He had a little beanie horse on the sideline with him that he said was his, was his good luck charm his mascot and it was just a complete shambles I mean we, we were lucky not to go down that season god how different history could have been if we had uh, in the end we finished 14th somehow and that was mainly because of the work that we'd done away from home and, and in the first half of the season so tax commissioner would come in and he thought we need a big name and who better to go with the much maligned England manager that that had monumentally failed to make anything of the golden generation. So Sven comes in, a bit of money's made available. It's funny, I was reading reading back about this to refresh my memory and it said City spent big. We spent 30 million on eight senior signings. Like 30 million. I mean, we, we spent 30 million on like a trio of 12-year-olds each summer these yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. And we scored 10, home get, 10 goals at home 
sometimes in one Carabao Cup in fixture. One week. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, certainly, too, yeah. It's all certainly in one week. So, yeah, it's, it's funny when you go back and look at the numbers. There's, there's goal inflation and transfer inflation. So, Sven comes in. We signed, uh, I mean, I've got a list here. Some of you will care about these names. Some of you won't. But Gelson Fernandez, Giovanni, Brazilian, important. Martin Petrov, Ilano, Brazilian. Um, and fans were kind of clamoring for this samba revolution at City led by Ilano, Giovanni, and soon to be Rubinho. And they, they did well. Um, if you've never seen it, Blues listeners, go back and watch Ilano's free kick at the Etihad, or what was then known as Eastland City Manchester Stadium, against Newcastle in a 3-1 win in September of 2007. It, to this day, I'm still certain it's the, the, the greatest Premier League free kick ever. Um, no bias here whatsoever, but it was an absolute it's like It's like an NFL field goal. It's like yeah. from midfield, and it just it floats for a year before oh, it hits the back God, of the net. It was perfect. And it was even better because I think it was Shea given in net for Newcastle at that point. And he almost got there and it's even better that he just almost got there. So everything started really well. We beat United at home, Giovanni 1-0. Um, uh, I mean, you know, back then for us, you, you can't understate how big it was to beat United whenever we had the chance to do so. So things started really well. And... Over Christmas, we kind of had a reverse pep where things just went to shit. Uh, we, we've been doing really well. We were in the top six up, up until I think around Christmas, New Year. Uh, then we just had a bit of a bad run. But, you know, it was we had real positivity around the club, especially after the Stuart Pearce era. And the fans had really taken to Sven. The fans had really taken to him. And in the Easter, Taksin Shinawat comes out and he says... We've had a really poor form. Avalanche apparently was the quote of poor results and it's unacceptable. And he said that he'd replace Pep, uh, Sven in Pep. Wow. Sven in the summer. So it, it's, it's April. We've had a little run of bad results. This is a team that had finished 14th the previous season and weren't strangers to flirting with relegation. And he said, we're going to sack the manager. Oh my God, all hell broke loose in that fan base. Um, the, the, the players went on strike. The rest of the season was the, with the fans. We had SOS save our Sven. There was the chant. We don't need no Phil Scolari. We don't, we don't need no Mourinho. Hey, tax in, leave our Sven alone. And in the midst of that, we went to Old Trafford, I think it was in the February, if I'm right, uh, mm-hmm. 2008, and it was the 50th anniversary of the Munich air disaster that coincided with, with the Manchester derby. And all the media coverage in the lead-up to that game had been around the inevitable bad behaviour and disrespectful disrespectful behaviour of the City fans. And it didn't come to pass, Um we are impeccable was the chant that was sung the rest of that scene. We are impeccable we, because all you know, all the media described City fans as impeccable. And we won. We won that game. Um, so it was the first time we'd done the double over United in decades. First time we'd beaten them at Old Trafford in decades. Again, un- Do you remember we, the goal scorers? Um, the first one, I know Ben Jarney got one. Uh, I think it was, oh God, who was the other one? Ben Jarney definitely got. Was it Martin Petrov? Martin Petrov. Ben, ben Jarney was certainly one. I think Ben Jarney got the winner. 
I'll give you a hint. It's a bald winger and it's not Stephen Ireland. I can't believe this is escaping me. I was there. Um, Go on. Darius Vassell. Vassell. He wasn't a winger, he was a striker. Um, Also ex-England, actually. Ex, because once he signed for City, he didn't get many more games in the national team. Um, Yeah, Villa legend, I think he was. Darius Vassell. But yeah, Ben Ben Johnny got the winner. So obviously, you know, we've got this big backdrop of the poor results after Christmas. Then we win at Old Trafford and then Taxin, we did the double and then Taxin says, right, he's out. On top of this, if it couldn't get any more typical City, Taxin then has serious political troubles. And I don't know the ins and outs of these because I was a young teenager and I wasn't particularly interested in international geopolitics of the Far East, but Taxin was a Thai politician at, at one point or another. And there were, there were lots of rumours going around he was going to be arrested or he was going to have his assets frozen, which obviously meant City were facing bankruptcy because at this point we couldn't stand on our own two feet without being bankrolled. You know, the money that he put into the club for transfers, the money for wages. Yeah, we we needed him. So the season ultimately culminated in an 8-1 loss to Middlesbrough. And I'm sure most City fans have seen that meme. Uh, it's I think it was Diddy Hamman looking distraught at the end of the game and the scorelines at the bottom. City 8, Middlesbrough. Uh, City 1, Middlesbrough 8. And people say City before the money. Um, but there's a, you know this is the story behind that game. The players have gone on strike. The fans were pissed off, really pissed off. That was really the the very last season, I would say, of typical City because... Obviously, that summer all hell broke loose in a very positive way in that, you know, Sheikh Mansour came in um, and the money came in, the signings came in and everything changed. But Sven, we also, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know, we did actually qualify for Europe that season, that season for the Fair Play Award. Um, they used to give clubs that had the least disciplinary points a spot in the European qualifying rounds, the UEFA Cup. So that season was fucking crazy. And... It was like the swan song of the City banter era, really. And I, I would encourage any City fan to go back, look at highlights on YouTube. I'm sure there must be a couple of like amateur documentaries out there about that season. But all of that is inextricably tied to Sven Goran Eriksson. It was magic. It was so good. It was so bad. Well, well, weirdly, it was almost like a peek into our future with having an owner, questionable owner, bankroll us. <laughs> And go on some spending sprees and maybe kind of fly a little bit too close to the sun at times. Um, but little did we know, I mean, we were only getting 1% of what that life was going to be like. Yeah, yeah, really it was. It was the first time we had real, especially when taxing first came in, we had and started splashing a little bit of cash, you know, 32 million, 30 million massive cash. But that was like the first taste that we had of what it meant to not head into a transfer window saying, We've got about two and a half million quid to spend unless we sell Sean yeah. Wright Phillips, which right. is insane. So you know, before then, we didn't we didn't have it. But I, I just want to end with a quote from Sven um, because that that season was all about him, and it, it'll do him some justice for his sacking. After a, a little while after he was sacked, Ericsson criticised Taxin Shinawat, and he said Taxin didn't understand football; he hadn't a clue. 
Well, that's a perfect place to end. Ollie, thank you very much for that. I'm, I'm sure, like, like Ollie said, if, if you're, you know, a newer city fan and don't know much about that era, I, I would implore you to go and, uh, read about it, look up highlights, try and, try and find anything from that era. Because though I was just kind of dipping my toe in, in the city pool, um, it was, it was quite the time to be alive. So, Ilano Ollie, thank you very much well, for joining the biggest us. Biggest one. Uh, yeah. Yes. Go and watch the Ilano goal as well. But no, thank you, Adam. Really enjoyed that. Until next time, listeners, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.